0: Good morning again folks chapter 2 verse 3 we know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands the man who says i know him but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him but if anyone obeys his word god's love is truly made complete in him this is how we know we are in him whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him, in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded him. Amen. If you're following carefully, actually even if you're following casually,
1: you would have realized that... uh, Sermons have been from the book of first John. John. So the encouragement is for the encouragement is for you to take your time and go through the book of first John. You know. Because you're gonna be blessed. By the scriptures of 1st John, you're going to hear sermons on 1st John, and Pastor Logan and myself have started this theme, and it's going to take us probably into the month of January. So we have yet still, you know, a good way to go in the book of 1st John, and I, I, am, I am a tremendous uh, lover of the Johannine writings. 1st John chapter 2, verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. An old law. John writes about a new law. Then states that it's actually the old law. There's a song years ago in Jamaica that was popular. It says, all times something come round again. And the wisest man says, there's nothing new under the sun. And John said, brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is a word which you've heard from the beginning. The old commandment, some may interpret that as a mosaic law. Well, the mosaic law was broken down into pretty much three parts. There's the moral, the civil, and the ceremonial. The moral law, for example, you know, shouldn't it? No murder, no adultery, no theft, no covetousness. It's the moral law. Then there was the civil law. Civil law were regulations to be enforced by the theocratic national state of Israel in order to maintain a civil society. These actually included laws prescribing penalties for breaking the moral laws. Then there were the ceremonial laws. These laws dealt with the ceremonial rites of the Jewish sanctuary service and concerned itself with a system of religion that passed, actually passed away because of the cross of Christ. Amen. Large sections of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy describe the details of this ceremonial law. It talks about things like Circumcision, which is a religious Jewish rite, it's, it talks about sacrifices, offerings, purifications, holy days, and other rites associated with the Hebrew sanctuary service and laws. But Jesus made these laws obsolete by his death on the cross. Let me read a scripture for you. And I'll say it again. Jesus made these laws obsolete by his death on the cross. From the book of Hebrews chapter 8. It's comparing the first covenant to the second covenant. And the writer of the Hebrew says, For if the first covenant had been without fault... No place would have been sought for the second. Makes sense. If the first covenant was all set and all good and everything was, you know, was all set and nice, then why would there be a need for a second? But God found fault. (laughs) Careful now. He starts by saying, for if the first covenant had been without fault. So you're thinking that the fault is in the covenant. That's where we lose a little bit with our English thinking. Because the fault is not necessarily with the covenant itself. And the writer of the Hebrews brings us out. He says, but God found fault, not with the covenant, God found fault with the people. Because the word of God tells us all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Greek word armatia is a, a literally a figurative description of an arrow that comes short of the target. <laughs> You're shooting for a target. But instead of hitting the target. It, the arrow drops short. Armatia. But God found fault With the people. And said. Behold. The days are coming declares the Lord. When I will make a new covenant. With the house of Israel. And with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their fathers. But I took, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not abide my covenant. And I disregarded them, declared the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. Amen? Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, live in sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, that you do what? The renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. I will put my laws in their minds and inscribe them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will each one teach his neighbor or his brother say, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their iniquities and will remember their sins no more. By speaking of a new covenant, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Hallelujah. (laughs) But how is this old law the new law? Jesus himself answered this question in Matthew chapter 22. We read where one of the experts of the law asked Jesus this question. Teacher, he said, Rabbi, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Wow. Because John, John wrote it this way. I'm also writing to you a new commandment. He says an old one, but it's not just an old one, it's a new one. But it's not just new, it's the same old one. So the, the old is the same as the new it's a new with inspiration. It's a new with empowerment. It's a new because the Spirit of God can indwell and purify the hearts of believers and make available the ability to love purely. Amen. I am writing to you a new commandment, which is true in Him and also in you. For the darkness is fading and the true light. Is already shining yes if anyone has Christ he walks not in darkness yes if anyone has Christ he walks in the light John tells us that the light is already shining Christ is the light of the world John states that Christ is the true light which gives light to everyone how can we get this light Jesus tells us we should love God totally And love our neighbors as ourselves. See, the disciples knew this law. It was an integral part of their upbringing. The Shema is a Jewish prayer. And also the first two words of a section of the Torah. And is the title of the prayer. That serves as a centerpiece for the morning and evening Jewish Prayer services. It's taken from the book of Exodus, chapter 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In some Jewish traditions... And your neighbor as yourself is at it. So, we are to love God. Okay. I can do that. I mean, come on, yeah? We all can love God, amen? Yeah, I can do that. Because if I say I love God, who can doubt me? Can't challenge that. My word. I I say I love God. Nobody can challenge me on that. It's between me and God, right? (laughs) I mean, if I say that I love God, what right do you have to question that? God loves me and I love Him and that's that. Or is it? thing is, you can't love God and hate your brother. The thing is, you can't love God whom you have not seen and not love your brother or sister who you do see. <laughs> Amen? Yeah, I mean, when the rubber, where the rubber meets the road, it's loving God is actually actualized In loving our brother, in loving our sister. John says it this way, that such a person is walking in darkness if they say they love God, but they don't love their brother. So to walk in the light, we have to love our brothers and our sisters. We have to love our neighbors. Yep. Love your neighbor. (laughs) Pastor. You don't know my neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know my neighbor. That person across the street? Mm-mm-mm. That person who lives right beside mm Pastor, mm-mm. you you wouldn't be telling me that if, if you if you if you only knew that person. Come on now, we all have people like that. That just press the wrong buttons. Amen? Yeah. Rub us the wrong way. Kind of get you up. You know, you, 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 you wake up in the morning, you have your devotion, you're singing and thing, and, and you step outside, you are leaves, and there goes your day. <laughs> you have someone like that? You see, you say, Pastor, you don't know my neighbor. And I say, yep, I don't. I'm kind of glad I don't. (laughs) Because I got neighbors of my own to deal with. (laughs) Can't deal with my neighbors and yours. So let's be real here. Loving people. Is hard let me say that again loving people is hard some people even find it hard to love themselves not all people are hard to love but some people Okay, okay, okay. Most people are hard to love. Let's face it. Let's face it. As we, we, we think of people who are hard to love, we say, mm, some people are jerks. Really? That's another way of saying that they don't act the way we want them to. Come on. When we say people are jerks, that's probably because they're not acting the way we want them to. We might not say it out loud, but we mumble it or we go, it, it goes through our minds. Some people are just stupid. That's another way of saying they don't think like us. Hmm. And sometimes we say some people are just plain evil, just plain mean. But isn't that another way of saying that they don't forgive and forget when we're the ones who were wrong? <laughs> it's hard to bury the past when everyone around you is walking with a shovel. Isn't it? Because you want to bury the past and they just want to dig it up. I had a parent-teacher conference with a dad who's son is on the verge of i mean following the disciplinary measures he he's two detentions away from a suspension and 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 the dad you know i i i asked him i knew what the answer was going to be but i asked him i said dad you tell me what works at home and he was honest he said nothing much And he looked at me and he said, Mr. Mason, David has a ridiculous uh, sense of right and wrong, especially when he thinks he's been wronged. And he keeps a record. He will bring up some things that happened days, weeks, months. And it would be simple things. Remember at dinner, a, sun, a Sunday dinner, three months ago when Esther got cookies and I didn't? And the father said... Mister, he said, Mr. Mason, believe me, this detention, this last detention that he got, he feels he, he, he's going to be wronged, and you're going to hear it or I'm going to hear it. It could be three months from now, but he is going to bring it up because he keeps a record of what he thinks he, he, when he's been wronged. Man, it's hard to bury the past when people around you are carrying a shovel. but we are called to forgive amen? amen we are called to love my science teacher at school he says it so often it's kind of stuck in my mind when it's time to have you know staff devotions or prayer and he's praying almost always he opens up in prayer he says, Lord, I thank you that you're not God. That I thank you that you're God and not us. Lord, I thank you that you're God and not us. <laughs> Can you imagine if you were God? What would happen? You might initially say, oh, that would be cool. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> not for a lot of people. <laughs> Including yourself. A quick look in God in a God made mirror will reveal to us that we are sometimes jerks, that we are sometimes stupid, that we are sometimes evil. Where does that leave us? That will leave us humbled. By the understanding that we need God's grace to fulfill his commandment to love. Understand that God told us to love him and to love our neighbors. Think about that. During worship, Melissa said something. And I I was almost tempted to ask her to come back up here and say it again. Because if God tells us to love him and to love our neighbors, that sounds like not a request. It sounds like a command. Amen? Amen. So if, we, if, if we're given a command, it means we have a choice. Hmm. We can choose to love. I mean, we can choose not to love. But the important message here is that we can choose to love. And brethren, I'm telling you right now, I choose to love. And if you have that in your mind, would you say it with me? I choose to love. Let's do it again. I choose to love. Let me share with you something that blew my mind. Blew my mind. Because it's South it's American, San on Jamaican, on Trinidadian, on Bayesian. I was talking with a Christian brother. from the Kerala province of India. That province of Kerala is very unique because when you think of India, you think of Hindus and maybe small, especially in the section border in Pakistan, there's a larger Muslim population. But mostly Hindus. Hindus. But the Kerala province in the southern India, 70, 70% of the population considers themselves Christian. Amazing. So I'm talking to this brother from the Kerala province, a Christian brother. And I was surprised to learn that Christians in that province and in other parts of India were and in, had indulged and were still indulging in the practice of arranged marriages. a matter of fact, his younger son, he was arranging a marriage for his younger son. When I shared my surprise and skepticism about the practice, my friend challenged me on the concept of love. He said, Here in America and in other Western cultures, people married those they love. He says, But in my culture, People are taught to love those they marry. <laughs> wow. When we think of marriage, we think you should marry the person you love. But it's a, it's a whole twisting of the mind. It's a whole, you know, just a 180 degrees type of thinking. And he says, no, 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 no. In my culture, we are taught to, to love those we marry. Then he asked me to do some research and to compare the divorce and separation rates of the two cultures. No, I'm not advocating arranged marriages, or I'm not saying it's for or I'm not doing for or against, but isn't there something for us to ponder on that love is fundamentally a decision? That love is fundamentally a decision, a choice. That God has given us a choice. That we can choose to love God. And that God has enabled us. That's what grace is. That's what grace is. Grace is God's enabling power. He has enabled us to make that choice. He has enabled us to make that choice to love Him. He has enabled us to make that choice to love our brothers, to love our sisters. Amen. So what's your choice? What's your choice? Knowing fully well that if you choose to love God, it's got, it's got something attached to it. Because you can't say, I choose to love God, and box that in. Because God says, if you choose to love me, you've also chosen to love your brother and love your sister. <laughs> can't be separated, can't pull it apart, can't say, okay, this is my love for God and it's here, and, and I'm choosing that, but the love for my miserable neighbor. I can't, I have got to put that off. No, you can't do that. Can't be done. Cannot be done. Loving God is attached at the hips. It's attached to loving your neighbor. Loving God is attached to loving your brother, to loving your sister, to loving that miserable person down the road, to loving that unbearable family member who drives you crazy. Loving God. So when we say yes, Lord, yes, we're choosing. Now here's the beautiful thing about it. See love. Love has all kinds of meanings. And I, I, I love the Greek. Because in in, in the English, we just say, you know, love. Matter of fact, we've so butchered the word love that, you know, you say, oh, I I love ice cream. Really? Wouldn't it be more proper to say, I like ice cream? Well, people people have an emotional attachment to food. So when they say, I love ice cream, they don't just say, I love ice cream. I love ice cream. Oh yeah, I see the hand. I see that hand. I
0: love ice cream,
1: and so there's a there's just like a you know a chemical reaction and a and a joy. So you know that you know later on today the Patriots are playing the Eagles. Eagles are from, (laughs) the eagles are from, uh, you know, uh, uh, a city called, you know, Philadelphia. And everyone calls it the city of brotherly love. And no, it's not because they love their brother. It's actually because the word Philadelphia is an amalgamation of two Greek words. Philio and Adelphos. Adelphos means brother. Filio means, actually, it's a family type of love or a buddy type of love. So filio means love. But it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a, like a BFF type of love. And adelphos, which means you know brother. So city of brotherly love. But when God says to love your brother, he's not talking about that. Then then there's a love of called eros. From that we get the word erotic. And that's the sexual attraction and love between a man and a woman. And, and 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 God is not saying no, that's not the type of love God is talking about. That has its place. In a family, that has its place in a husband and wife relationship, but God is here talking about agape. Which is the purest kind of love. You want the best for your brother. You want the best for your sister. Regardless of how they feel towards you. Amen. Regardless of how they act towards you. Amen. You want the best for them. And, and you know what? Here's the two tests of, of love. Recently... Dear friend, some closer than others, um, Margaret, Sandra Margaret Mason. And there were many people at the funeral. And there were people who had a hand of support around the family members. when you see someone in pain, when you see someone in sorrow, even if you really, you know, they, they're not your kind of, they're not your kind of people, but they're going through sorrow, they're going through pain. Isn't it kind of easy to go and reach out to that person? Isn't it kind of easy to, you know, come and support that person? Yeah. But a friend of mine years ago challenged me, said, said, Patrick, that's not really the test of true love. The test of true love is not that you can weep with those who weep. The test of true love is that you can rejoice with those who rejoice. Because if your neighbor who is going, you know, who who really just irritates you, if their son dies, if their daughter dies, if their husband dies, if their wife dies, you are going to reach out. You're going to feel a sense of sorrow. You're going to empathize with that person. What happens if you hear that person got a promotion on the job and they... Drive in with a nice, you know, you know uh, 2020 Mercedes. <laughs> Are you going to say, yes, I'm happy for you. Come on, be real. Kind of hard, right? It's kind of hard. But that's the level of love that God wants us to reach. That's the new commandment. That you love one another. And God is saying, my grace is sufficient for you. Your grace, His grace to do what? To choose to love. So we will close with this affirmation. I choose to love. Let's say it. I choose to love. Amen.